today's reading is from 2 Timoth- 2 Timothy, uh, verse 3, 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for all training in righteousness. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Would you say with me, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Rob. I'm getting to know you week by week, sometimes day by day, and some of you I have not met as of yet. I encourage you, if you have some time this afternoon at 5 o'clock, if you live out west or don't mind driving out west 98, uh, the Bournes are going to be our host today, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I met with a group of our church leadership, uh, the named and official leadership this past week at Fred uh, and Diane's, and thank you very much for your hospitality. It was a good time, and we're just going to do that. Um, This is not ask him anything you can ask him, but I hope that you will um, find time to enjoy one another. And what, what I found in the church leadership is there were people who didn't know each other. And so I invited everybody to sit down and sort of say, how you got connected to Parkway? And I think we left with a sense of, gosh, we're in this thing and leading together. And I think uh, there's an old saying that applies even here. People don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that holds true for me. So I hope to act and grow in that relationship with you over these next weeks and months as we uh, continue to discover what it's like to be the church uh, in this world and in this community. Um, The text that was read just a minute ago uh, says that uh, the Bible is inspired. It's the inspired word of God. And that is true. It's inspired. It's inspired twice. My friend Keith Keaton was one of my young pastors in uh, my previous appointment. And Keith said the Bible is inspired twice. First, when it was written, the context in which God mysteriously or pragmatically or whatever it was that took for one of the writers of this scripture to to actually share it, to write it down or to, to share it in a tradition we'll talk about a little bit more called the oral tradition or storytelling. But the second way in which it is inspired is when you and I sit down and open up the pages of this book and begin to read, begin to reflect, begin to engage it. Because you remember in John 14, Jesus promised us a comforter. He promised us a guide and a teacher. So when we open up this sacred text, the Holy Spirit is present with us. And I bet you, If you have read scriptures often in your life, that you've read the same passage of scripture 37 times, but it was in the 38th time that you read that scripture, you had an aha, or it came across differently to you, or there was something going on in your life that this scripture spoke to, that it had never spoken to you in the same way before. I, I commend to you this book. It's a means to read and overhear and experience a relationship. It's got 66 books within one cover. Now, that's a pretty good library right here. 66 books, multiple authors. 
multiple authors. There are two or three people that get credit for writing most of the New Testament, and that's traditional thinking. But there are more than just one or two folk. In fact, the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament, we're told in one line of thinking, have four different sources, J-E-D-P. And if you've ever taken any kind of uh, Bible study course, perhaps at the, at the collegiate level, uh, you'll find that taking an Old Testament survey course, you'll learn a lot of historical background. But this book took over 1,600 years to come into being even in a written form. And it was first written on tablets of stone. That gives a new meaning to the word tablet these days, huh? And then written on papyrus and scrolls. Some of it was lost. It's an amazing book. And so what I want to share with you this morning is in sort of a practical way, maybe to help you if you've not read scriptures very often or the Bible, oh, it's too intimidating, I don't understand. Hooey fooey. This is our book. And for us to be familiar with our book takes time and effort and intentionality. And so maybe before this message is over with, you might say, okay, I'll I'll give it a try. Or, preacher, I've been reading my Bible since I was six years old. I Thank you, but. So just stay with me a few minutes, if you would. One of the elements that's throughout the Scripture is the element of metaphor. Metaphor is often used to compare or contrast two ideas or figures that are otherwise not alike at all. And so I'm going to rely on some metaphors this morning, and and again, that it might incite you, that you might feel invited more and more to spend time with Scripture. So let's first talk about what the Bible is not, okay? The Bible is not a crystal ball. You don't need to go to a soothsayer or uh, someone who can tell the future with one of these, you've seen these places where so-and-so's house of cards come see Madam so-and-so. You don't have to take your Bible into someone who's a soothsayer for them to tell you about the Scripture. Of course, the Bible is an open-ended story. It's a story that's not yet fully complete, even though it's got a period at the end of the book of the Revelation of John. It is an important book It tells a story about God and God's relationship with the created order. You don't need a soothsayer to tell you what the future is. But you can read about how God has been leading a people of faith throughout centuries and how the nature of God works in the nature of human relationships. The future is in God's hands. And one of the things we can do in the New Testament, in the Gospels in particular, Matthew and Mark and Luke, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He has come to usher in a new age, and that age is not yet complete. And so the teachings of Jesus about who God is and what God is like and what it means to be a follower and a disciple are still relevant terms, even though they're over 2,000 years old, because it has to do with the vertical relationship between you and I and God and the horizontal relationship between us and our neighbors. Our task is to take seriously those teachings about the kingdom and about the coming of God in full reign. So, 
One does not need a crystal ball to see in the future, but simply to study, engage, and to see how God has been always at work yesterday, today, and tomorrow through reading and understanding Scripture. Now, another thing it's not is it's not an encyclopedia. It's not, it is a book of historical data. You can read in the chapters of the Old Testament and you can see a narrative formed. And some of those narratives coincide with events of world history and the things that taken place. Some of them don't. This book is not interested in science, in facts and figures. It is interested in telling a story of faith and of people. Encyclopedias are a place, they're out of date, by the way. I probably used a lousy metaphor, but forgive me, okay? But encyclopedias and, and, and the internet, could I, maybe I should have said the internet this morning. The Bible is not the internet or encyclopedia, but it is a living, ongoing story about how human beings were created and how we understand ourselves to be created and how we're to relate to God through mystery and wonder and revelation and also how we are to relate to each other as human beings. And you don't have to read very far into this book, maybe like chapter two or three in Genesis to see how quickly creation got messed up, how quickly relationships became unraveled And it's taken a long time for there ever to be hope. We've been singing about amazing grace. My chains are gone. Those chains hung around humankind's experience for a long time until the advent of Jesus. And even now, even now, you and I still have chains. I was singing that song saying, my chains are gone. Yes, Lord, but. Yes, Lord, my chains are gone from some things. But when I rattle, when I walk, I still rattle. Amen? The Bible is not an encyclopedia. Now, John Wesley, you've heard a a little bit about him. John Wesley argued that the Bible was one of the four sources that we Christians have as an authoritative place to stand in the world. It, it's a balance between Scripture, which is primary, the traditions and the teachings of the church. John Wesley lived in the 1700s. He was a part of the Anglican church, and it had broken away at the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. You've heard of Martin Luther, perhaps. I don't want to teach church history, but I just want to put this in context but there, there have been things passed on from, the, from Scripture, how the early church was organized. You remember uh, in the Acts story, the widows and the orphans were not getting cared for. And Paul decided that there needed to be a group of men, sorry ladies back then, it was historically uh, in that context. He set aside some particular men to minister to the widows and to the orphans of the community of faith like we do here in this church when people are sick, when people are in the hospital, when people experience death, so that lay people, are you listening? So that lay people could do the work of God. He called them deacons. Now, we in the Methodist church have made those deacons clergy, but the role is still important. So 
that the teaching of the apostles could continue. The evangelistic word of God could be carried out by Paul and by the early disciples. That's one of the traditions of the church. And so we still embrace that. Another important part of understanding faith, along with Scripture, is reason. You and I were created with minds. In fact, Scripture calls us to love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. This is not a dummy's religion. We are thinking people. And oftentimes, we fail to think critically enough about the world in which we live and how the Bible speaks to the certain context in which we find ourselves. And then there's one last, and it's very important, and I'm glad Mr. Wesley left this, personal experience. How you know God, how God knows you, how you engage your faith journey is very important. None of us have, we have some similar experiences. I grew up going to Camp Wesley Pines. My little boy's going tomorrow with some of your children or grandchildren. And, and I've met people all my life that I can trace my roots back to Camp Wesley Pines. And you see, Camp Wesley Pines is important to me. And my personal experience is because it's the first time I really heard God say, hey, I need you. That's my personal, some of my personal. And, and I wouldn't be who I am today had that personal experience with God not taken place. So the Bible speaks to all of these experiences and it enriches them and it's our place to know who we are. Now, what the Bible is not It's not a crystal ball. It's not an encyclopedia. But John Wesley sort of points us to what it can be for us people called Methodists. So let me just move through this quickly because you've been very, very, very attentive and thank you. It's like a family album. Turn if you have yours or if you want to open up yours. Hebrews 11. It's over in the New Testament. And it's called, some people call it, the um, Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame. If you look over there in Hebrews, and I didn't mark it, so I got I to gotta look to the back here. Here we go. It's past Philemon. That's one page. In Titus, in First and Second Timothy, those guys. If you turn to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you're going to find a storyline. Here's what it says. The exemplars of our ancestors. Only faith can guarantee the blessing that we hope for or prove the existence of realities that are unseen. It is for their faith that our ancestors are acknowledged. It's by faith that we understand that we were created by a word from God so that the invisible formed the invisible. It was because of faith that Abel. It was because of faith that Enoch. It was because of faith that Noah. It was because of faith that Abraham. It was by faith that all these died, but they kept going. It was by faith that Moses, and you read, 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 until you get to the very end, almost into chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, and it says, therefore, English professors, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us look to Jesus, who is our pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We have a family, my friends. And I don't know about you. You may like to go to family reunions or you may detest it. I went to one recently uh, down south in Jackson County. But one of the things that I, I think about our faith story as a family reunion, as a family album, is that a lot of stories in the Gill clans, and I could tell you all some stuff on Clint, but I won't. 
But his brother was the storyteller in the family. He, Dad and I are the preachers, and we have a, he has a brother-in-law in, in, uh, who lives out in Oklahoma. But Uncle Fred, some of you knew Fred. He was a high school football coach down in George County. He was the storyteller because he told us stories about growing up in Sosha, Mississippi. Let me tell you something. Jerry Clower didn't have nothing on my Uncle Fred. And the ways in which he talked about the people in Sosha, I mean, I know what Stud Broadus looks like. I've never seen him before, but I can guarantee you, I can tell you what he looks like by the way my Uncle Fred talked about him. Can you imagine people talking about King David or David the warrior? Can you imagine people telling stories around the fire? Because until they settled, until things were written down, it was in conversation. It was around the campfire. It was stories. That's the whole story of Passover. When you go to the Gospels, it's an oral story. It's a family story. And there are matriarchs and patriarchs just like there are in your family and mine. So the Bible is often like a family album. It's also like a mirror. If you turned in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, you would see a story. You would see three stories, bang, 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 about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. When we read Scripture like a mirror, we have the opportunity to look into the Scripture and be reflected back. How many times in your life have you lost something of great value? We moved. There's a blue lamp we can't find. It was either broken before the, the stuff got put in our truck or something happened to it. When we moved from the to the reservoir from Meridian, I had a pair of cufflinks. I left them in the top drawer. My mistake. They were from Tiffany's, and they were given to me by our Virginia, our fairy godmother. They're not with me anymore. I turned everything upside down. It took me a year and a half before I would tell Virginia they got stolen. You ever lost anything? And then had the joy of finding it. Man, if I could find those cufflinks, I'd wear them every day. Some of us have gone through experiences where we thought we'd lost. We've gone through chemotherapy. We've gone through surgeries that were changing. And through hard work and through rehabilitation and through therapy, both emotional and physical, we've rediscovered a deeper part of who we are. When you read the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel, there's hope that God's grace brings about mercy and renewal. I commit to you that the scripture is often like a mirror. We have a chance to see human nature and experience and find our connection, to see where we are in the Scripture and to see where God is at work then and now and in the future. And lastly, God is like a compass, or the Scripture is like a compass. This is my dad's compass. It's old. I bet it's 45 to 50 years old. 
When my dad was younger, he got invited in the fall to go on the Pascagoula River where my grandfather had built a houseboat. And the brother-in-laws and my Uncle Earl, who is a retired Methodist preacher, they would go into the swamp. They would go by boat because the houseboat was in, uh, off the river, and they would go into the swamp and amongst the trees and the vegetation, and they would hunt squirrel. They were good. And it helped us young, struggling preacher families back in the 60s and 70s to have a little extra meat on the table if you like squirrel. But let me tell you something. If you've ever been in a territory that changes often, you need a compass. You need a way to find your own. If you're a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout in here, if you've gotten a marriage badge, if you've reached the stage of eagle, you had to know how to use a compass. And a compass points true. And I commend to you that the Bible is about the truth. It needs to be interpreted over and over and over in every historical context. The preacher who says the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. If that's what you, who you're about, then that's great. But life changes. And circumstances change. And the truth moves through change to reveal itself to us. The Bible's like a compass. Jesus said, you've heard it before, but I say. Jesus was reinterpreting scripture in light of a new day and a new moment. The Old Testament said this. Jesus, who understood the scriptures, said, but I say. Not only love your brother, but pray for your enemies. Scripture is like a compass. I don't know if you spend time in your life or have spent time in your life memorizing Scripture. I can remember that I got a blue ribbon at the the Church of God Vacation Bible School at Escatapa, Mississippi, because I went with my cousin Doug, who is now a Church of God pastor in Jackson. I got a blue ribbon because I could memorize the 23rd Psalm. But I can tell you, my friends, if you spend time with the Scripture, if you begin to read passages that speak to you and you go back and you begin to make them a part of who you are, you can count on them. You can count on them to come to your consciousness, to come to your prayer life when you're a crisis. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's true. Not because I've said it. But over a lifetime of allowing this book to shape and form who we are, God can work in our lives. God can help us overcome difficulties. And we can inspire and teach and share. One of the things I used to do to young families when I would visit them in their homes when they had little children, y'all listen up. If you're a grandparent, you might want to do this too. I used to encourage young daddies especially to buy Bible story books and read the Bible stories to their children because you know what? Their children didn't have to know that they didn't know the Bible much more than they did. So they could read about 
David and Goliath, or they could read about Noah and the flood, or they, they could read about Jesus walking on the water. Wow. And they could learn those stories along with their children, and then maybe they would read this one and take it a little further. It's a journey. It's a choice that we make. I'm not going to ask you how much TV or how much entertainment time you do during the week as opposed to spending time with Scripture. That'd be mean, wouldn't it? But it's something to think about. Mac and Winnie Greeno are my maternal grandparents. My grandfather worked for International Paper for 42 years in Moss Point. He worked shift work the entire time. 7 to 3, 3 to, seven, 3 to 11, and 11 to 7. On the nights in which he was home, probably for 25 years, before he and Miss Winnie went to bed, they sat side by side in twin recliners. And my grandmother had a great big old Bible. It'd, make, it'd be twice of this. And she took the upper room, which we have a copy of right out in the atrium for you. And at the upper room, there's a passage of Scripture a lengthy passage of Scripture if you want to read it. But there's also just a thought for the day and a passage. And then there's somebody, a personal reflection, an application. But I watched many a night when I would stay with them that they would, my grandpa would read the Bible out loud. He believed in that. And then Miss Winnie would read the devotion. And then she'd read the prayer. And then they'd be quiet and pray. I'm 16 years old. My world is just wild. And I'm sitting in my grandparents' den. Now, that was over 35, 40 years ago. But I remember the impact it had on me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How light is your path? I pray that you will become or continue and deepen your love for Scripture and that God's Word would shape and form your life in new and wondrous ways. Let us pray. Oh, God, we thank you for this Word. We thank you for the way in which your Scripture can inspire and teach and nurture and, and change who we are into more of who we are have been created to be. We ask that your love grow in us and through us, and that we may be witnesses here in Hattiesburg and in Mississippi and around the country and around the world. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. I invite the ushers to come forward as we share in our morning tithes and offerings.